Thank you, thank you very much. Um, hello, St. Peter's. Hello. It's been about five years since I've spoken um, here, and um, that is a bit of a, a funny thing for me because I used to speak here all the time, but I left about four years ago. I moved house, I moved out of the area, and I left the church, and I've come back recently. Firstly, I'm going to get up uh, one of our young people, Esther. She's going to come and read a passage from Isaiah for us. Um, that is for you over here, Esther. Everyone give Esther a big round of applause. Isaiah 58, verse 1 to 12. Shout is aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a triumph. Declare to my people their rebe rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seek eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that do what is right, and have not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask for just decisions, to see eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please, and the exploit of all your workers, your fasting ends in quarreling and strife, and in striking each other of the wicked fist. You cannot fast as do, the, as do today, and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen, only a day of people to humble themselves? Is it only to be bowed one's head like reed, like a reed, and for lying of in sackcloth of ashes? Is it what they call fast, a day of a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not the kind of fasting I have chosen to lose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to see the oppression free and to break every yoke? It is not. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor and wander with shelter? When you, see, when you see the naked, to clothe them, and to not turn away from your own flesh and blood, then, you light, then your light will break forth and la forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your real God, your rare God. Then you will call the Lord, the, when, then when you call, and the Lord will answer, you will cry for help, and he will say, here I am. If you do away the yoke of the oppression, with the pointing finger and the malicious talk. And if you spend yourself on behalf of the hungry and, the satisf and satisfy the need of the oppressed, then, you, then your lights will rise in the darkness and your nights will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always and he will satisfy your needs in the sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame and you will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters will never fell. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called for repair of broken walls, restores of streets with dwelling. Thank you, Esther. Everyone give her another round of applause. Everyone knows I do not stand up there to do a talk if you've been here a long time. Um, I'm always down here. I can't stand up there. It, it makes me feel weird. Um, and I say everyone, but obviously we've got a mixture now of churches and I was raised in this church um, you might have heard me a few weeks say I've been here since I was one that's a lie I've been here before that um, <laughs> my gran is here my sister's here I am a fixture a fixture uh, like an old chair um, <laughs> and I've been here long enough to know things that um, people may have forgotten I've been here long enough to remember stuff that comes back round. Um, and I've been here long enough to have the memory of people who aren't here with us. And today I'm going to be talking about knife crime. I'm going to be talking about violence. So I'm going to give you a trigger warning. Um, I'm going to talk about actual people who aren't here. And if that is something you can't cope with, if it's something that will bring up stuff in you that just today is not the day for it, please, I... I will not feel any way if you're walking out that door at the moment. Okay? It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard for me talking about this stuff because it is raw. It's like an open wound for me to talk about this stuff. Um, so I know other people are going to feel this as well. Um, but first, I want to dedicate this next 30 minutes, this time in St. Peter's where we're going to kind of wrestle with violence 
and knife crime and what's going on in our communities and across this country to one of our members who isn't here, a guy called Lamodzi. Um, I'm going to put a picture of him up. This is Lamodzi. You can see his smile. He had the most amazing smile. It was huge. Considering how small he was, it was the biggest thing about him. It was absolutely amazing. You would see Lamodzi coming from miles away because of his smile. And in this picture, he is in the snow. And I can just imagine Lamodzi being so excited, so full of energy, so kind of enthusiastic because that was the person he was. But he is no longer with us because of violence, because of people needing to have power over people. We don't know exactly what happened to Lamodzi. And that hurts more, really, doesn't it? It's, it's, it's hard to know what we're talking about. But I need us to feel this like it's our brother. Because Lamodzi is my brother. We were raised in this church together. There are other people here who don't get up and speak who actually have been raised in this church as well. There's a few people here. I'm not going to name them and shame them because they'll feel really old. But, and we have young people who've been here since they were kids as well, in our teenage groups. So I'm not the only one, but I get to come and say it. But this today is dedicated to Lamodzi and to his family. And I just want to honor them in everything I say because the only thing that really matters is the action that comes out of this talk. I chose that passage in Isaiah um, because it's one that kind of spurs me on. I am uh, an activist. My personality type means that I have to do to feel anything. If I'm not doing something, I feel depressed, lonely, disengaged, all those sorts of things. My personality type drives me to make things happen, to do stuff. If I'm not doing it, it doesn't feel real. And my faith was very much like that. As a teenager, I left this church. It felt old and clunky. People had rainbow braces and socks with sandals, and I wanted Air Jordans. I'm not going to lie. There's people in this church who I looked at, and I just was like, nothing like me. There's no way. And I know I was wrong because I've become friends with them as an adult, and I have to just like, apologize to those guys here who, who I, I had that opinion of when I was a kid. But that passage in Isaiah is Israel talking about why they've been forsaken. Why are my prayers not heard? Why is my life hard? Why, oh why, oh why, when I pray, does nothing happen? When I fast, nothing happens. When I strip off and I wear just a cloth and ashes, nothing happens. We're going to have a bit of that ashes coming up in a few weeks in Holy Week you do you know well actually we did it already didn't we you have ashes put in your hole you burn stuff and it's that whole idea that ritualistic idea of faith and God turns around and says look you've missed it you've missed it you've lost the point every time you come and do that you've shouted at people you've had arguments you've not really thought about me you're just doing it and he says, this is the worship I want. This is what I require. And that list goes on. Clothe the hungry. Um, feed the hungry. Clothe the poor. Break injustice. Break the yoke. The things that oppress and hold us back. The things that hold us down. Do that. And then you're worshipping me. I love singing worship. Danny is a great guitar player, isn't he, and a singer. I get a sense of being with God when I worship that way. But unless I do what I'm made to do, my worship isn't good enough. Okay? And I was made to be a youth worker. But unfortunately, two years ago, I decided to jack it all in. <laughs> I threw it all away. I said, I can't do this anymore. My ministry is done. I'm over. I'm burnt out, I'm finished. I'm a childminder now, I look after little kids, which is still equally as important, <laughs> lovely, but I know I'm not built for it because each day I'm like, oh, I don't know if I could continue. Um, and the kids I look after are amazing, they're lovely little kids. There's not really that many tantrums and stuff, but 
I know what I was meant to do. And I was a youth worker for 16 years, and I've worked all over South East London. And my main way of doing youth work was engaging with young people on the margins of society. That's what I did. I can tell you where I worked and how I worked, but it doesn't make any sense. It just, that's what I did. I went and found people who don't feel at home, wherever they are, and I worked with them. And I did it for 16 years. And it was amazing and challenging and disruptive. And I thought I could do it by myself and it didn't really work. Um, if I tell you, I've been spent two years feeling like, did I do any good? And I'm being honest. This is going to be, so I'm saying this is, this talk is going to be raw. It's going to be hard for me to say. And some of you, it's going to be hard for you to hear. So that's all I can say is that's, that's what it is. But we're also going to hear from some amazing young people in our church as well. So they'll make it a bit better. <laughs> um, the reason I did what I, I did for 16 years was two things. One, those passages. I'm going to read two more passages to you as we go on. The next one, actually I'm going to read it now to you. It's a psalm. Psalm 8. And this psalm just speaks to me for some reason he always jumps out at me O Lord our Lord how majestic is your name in all the earth you have set your glory above the heavens from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger now what does that mean God has called children and infants to praise him he, he's asked them, he's called them into that to silence the enemy. So there is the power in our youth. There is the power in our children. As they sit in their groups, I've asked the youth to stay in today. Um, their praise and worship is powerful enough to defeat the enemy. Their praise and worship is powerful enough to defeat the enemy. So we need them. If we don't have them, we're in trouble. Because every time Jesus talks about children in the Bible, he's asking us to be more like them and we need them to be around us so that we can step into that. If we don't praise and worship like God says, be like a child, throw off the stuff of this world, okay? So that's one, one thing that holds me and brings me into thinking, that's why young people, why children are important. That's why uh, we should give them the best opportunities they possibly can have. The other thing is, I say I've been here a long time. I'm, my identity isn't just in St. Peter's as being a broccoli boy. I was raised like two minutes on a little council estate just across the road and um, then we moved. I only ever moved until I moved to Catford, which I find really hard because I've moved so far away. Um, if anyone knows where Catford is, it's 2.2 miles away from this spot because I searched it when I was moving there. But I find it incredibly difficult because I only ever moved less than a mile in my whole life before that moment, four years ago. I, my identity is entwined in this place, but not just in this place, in what it means to be a guy that looks like me in this place. What it means to go to secondary school, 15 minutes walk away. What it means to go to primary school, five minutes walk away. My whole life was spent here. And I never wanted to leave. Despite the things I'm going to talk about in a minute, I never wanted to leave. I never wanted to run away. It was who I was. It was how I felt. It was amazing. So, my mum, who would be here today, but she's been really ill, um, used to say to me and my older brother, my bro older brother's seven years older than me, he looks exactly like me, he's just shorter, slightly rounder. Um, <laughs> he's not that much rounder, to be honest, I have to admit. But she used to say to us when we were growing up, don't be another black boy in the head teacher's office. That's... As a, as a mum, that was her biggest piece of advice. When you go to school, don't be another black boy outside that te teacher's office. When I find out, we'll talk. If I ever find out you're in trouble, we'll talk. And we never were in trouble at school. 
we loved our mum so much and we love her today. But that came from her as a teacher, knowing that young black boys in South East London were demonized. She would sit in her staff room and people would talk about boys like me as if they were horrible, evil children with no redeeming factors, with nothing that could possibly be better than kicking them out of school. And growing up, I had this sense of my mum's words in the back of my head, I must break this stereotype. You know, there's lots of things I do, and just because I want to break stereotypes, I change the way I talk when I'm talking to certain people. I te- I, I'm an hour early for stuff because everyone always says black people are late. I do everything in my power to break stereotypes because that that word from my mum. My mum was a pillar of this church for a long time. Um, And we just, that sense that she gave us that we need to stand in our community and be light where there is darkness. We sang about it. It's in the Bible loads of times. We need to be light in that darkness. So, that just spoke to me, but as I was growing up, I had this real sense of I'm, I'm trying to fight against things that are beyond me. So if I tell you it was normal in my community for um, violence to take place, it was normal in my community for drug deals to be happening as you're walking to school. In fact, it was normal for my community for drug deals to happen in my school. Even I thought about, you know, I want to make a little money sometimes. Maybe just put some oregano in a little pot and give it to some of the stupid kids at school. Because it it was easier to think like that than to try and break the stereotypes that I was being fed. It It was normal in my community for me to see people with extreme mental health react in extreme behaviors every day because of poverty and issues around uh, their lives. It was normal for things, like I say my uncle's drinking local pubs, for people to sell you TVs and meat in the pub. This is is the laugh, isn't it? But that's just, it's normal, it's just normal. All these silly things were just normal. Actually, I'm talking about violence and knife crime, it was normal for my peers to carry weapons. Maybe not always knives, but weapons and these are people who I considered my best friends people who would look out for me who would love me who would give me acceptance it was normal and like being boiled in a pot as a lobster you don't know how those things are affecting you until you look back and try and unpick it the last few years I've been trying to unpick some of my uh, kind of ideals and things that are happening on and memories I didn't even have like memories that I'd forgotten just keep popping up and I have to go and talk to people and say did this happen and I unpick it but it affects you it affects the way you see the world it affects the way you see authority it affects the way you respond to people challenging you or talking to you aggressively um one of the things that in my community was very normal was we would never phone the police. We would never ask for help from someone who would be seen to be an oppressor. That word's really harsh, but the police were seen and are seen by lots as people who hold us back, who are stopping us from um, being able to live a full life. People who don't care when violence happens, um, that haven't address the issues that when they are brought to them uh, so why would you go to them why would you seek the help from authorities who seem to just want to hold you back and hurt you you do with a friend you wouldn't allow that would you you wouldn't go this person hurts me and hurts me and hurts me so when I'm in trouble when I'm in dire need let me call them now it's the last thing you do and that's how the police and the authorities are seen. The council, social services, everyone, anyone in authority. That was normal for people like me, people in my community to see. And when I say people like me, I'm not meaning black. I just mean from here. People like me who didn't have some of the uh, 
better structures around them, maybe more wealth, uh, more attention, all sorts of other things, just normal people. And that means those words that my mum said rang in my ears as I fought against an environment which had lots of factors which might lead me down the wrong path. Now, anyone in this church knows that as a kid, um, all the older members of the church, there's Carol there looking at me, I know she's, she knows this, and Kim somewhere here, they used to know me when I was really little, and I was really quiet, and I was really shy, and actually I was really anxious. And I wouldn't say boo to a goose, I used to run away from everything. But I had to change to survive, and I had to become uh, arrogant and brash, and uh, I started doing martial arts, and I started feeling more confident in my body, I wanted to look big, so I would, you know, wear a big coat, <laughs> even in the summer. And these are all things you see now. Not a lot has changed, if I'm honest. For those in the most marginalized parts of our community, not a lot has changed. Um, so, that is my experience of why and how I understand violence and youth crime and things from my perspective as a young person kind of with a 37 year old hat on you know looking back grey beard everything actually we sat down with our young people in this church and we asked them what do you think because you know what I'm old <laughs> I'm really old um, and uh, we got some of them they came up with this long list of things we could just put that slide up for us um, I'm going to get two of them to come up and just lead us, Temi and Princessa, could you come up? They're going to share this stuff with us. Do you want us to stand up? You're worthy of the stage. Okay, so we came up with a lot of, <clears throat> a lot of reasons for youth violence, um, but me and Temi will only say a few. So one of them is boredom. So like during the holidays, you have lots of time to... Um, do anything other than school, but during school, you're occupied for like six to seven hours per day, so you don't have time to commit those crimes. So that could be one of the reasons. Um, another reason could be acceptance. Many people, many people feel, don't feel loved or where they came from, like, they don't, they don't have like, they don't, they don't feel like comfortable with their, where they are, so the minute they find someone that they feel like comfortable and loved and where they can get that like, like guidance from, they're going to be attached and then it can lead them into bad things as well. Um, another reason is um, victims of bullying or assault. So if um, someone took your anger on you, maybe even when you were younger, um, you want to, if you still have that anger inside of you, you may want to do it to other people, which could be some of the people who commit these kind of crimes, they might that might be the reason why they're doing it, because they've been hurt before or something like that. And last one is um, fear and protection. So people, are f like, they fear going out, being hurt. They don't want to get hurt, don't want to get killed, anything like that. So to protect themselves, they bring weapons, and then they look like the bad person when they're not really the bad person when they're trying to protect themselves from evil or bad things. Um, these kind of things lead to like parents being worried and overprotective. Um, it's mostly for teenagers, but some children, like younger children, parents could stop thinking about it as well. Because if someone's child was stabbed, the parents wouldn't want it to happen to their own child, so they'll stop them from like going out to places with their friends, even if it's innocent. And young people being stereotypes. It could be judged by the way they look and the way they dress and who they hang around with, which is why it's important to choose who you hang around with wisely. Thank you, guys. Give them a round of applause. We have some incredibly elegant, elegant, uh, but more elegant than, <laughs> eloquent than me, uh, young people in our church. We are blessed with uh, an amazing group of young people who there's a few of us who work with them and do stuff with them but I'd love for you guys as a church to back them and be behind them this is a place that should be home for them and safe for them and actually 
if we as a family don't feel we know them and love them, how can this be a place of safety for them? Okay, so that, that's just an aside there. Now, um, I spoke about my family a bit. There's, there's, I'm going to get um, Tamara to come up and interview a youth worker from local youth uh, provider. Um, she looks a little bit like me, but I'll let that come out in the interview. So Tamara and Olivia, could you please come up? Give them a round of applause, please. Um, who are you and what do you do, just to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Olivia Henriette. Uh, I'm Chris's sister. Um, <laughs> and I am a youth worker for Lucian Borough. I work for an organisation called Youth First. Um, we used to be Lucian Youth Service, but when there was a lot of cuts going on in the, in the borough, we decided to become a charity. So my organisation is a charity now. We work in the whole borough of Lucian, so we have five youth clubs and five adventure playgrounds that are open for young people aged 8 to 19, and if they've got additional needs, up to 25. Um, it is evident that young people are becoming increasingly involved in knife crime. Why do you think this is the case? Um, so a part of my role in my organisation is to run youth forums. So I support young people to have a voice in a lot of the things we do um, and discuss topics. Knife crime and serious youth violence is something that comes up a lot. Um, and young people say it's to do with not having parenting, because parents are working a lot. Um, they feel there's not enough out there for young people, but I think it's how organisations advertise things, um, and whether it's at a building that young people feel safe and comfortable and confident to go to. Um, a lot of the time, young people have too much responsibility. So young people are the caregivers for their younger siblings. The young people are the ones having to make dinner because their parents are too busy working. So the responsibility is on the young person and then they end up rebelling because they're like, this is too much. And then all the other factors come into place like mental health um, and other conditions and not having enough money and then feeling less of than other people in the community. So I think it's a mixture of all those things um, but I think young people have too much responsibility and so they try to protect themselves, they try to act in a way that nobody can try and hurt them or disrespect them to feel less of all what they already feel. Um, what do the young people that you work with in particular think about knife crime? Um, a lot of them are scared. A lot of them find it really difficult to go from one part of the borough to another. Um, a lot of them feel quite anxious because they know somebody it's happened to or it's happened outside their house. It's happened near a place that they feel is safe. Um, so it's like they feel like everything is against them, that it's them and us. You know, the young people feel like it's everyone against young people. So they try to have this persona, to have this personality that tries to keep everyone away. So I think they feel that they're coming from a place of protection um, and that they are, you know, they're just trying to be young people. Um, but they, they understand that getting involved in knife crime has repercussions and that's a lot of the work that we do um, at my organisation. We talk about you know, what can happen in terms of criminal, um, in terms of the law, what can happen to them in terms of their family, what it means to the community when a young person dies or is stabbed or hurt. Um, so, yeah, I think that's what they think. Give them a big round of applause. Thank you very much, Samara and Olivia. So, Olivia is a member of this congregation. You might not see her. She runs in lay all the time. No, I'm not even going to go into that. <laughs> so yeah, if you'd like to find out more about Youth First, which is the Lucian-wide youth provision uh, that the council, your money goes towards. So um, your council tax, you, have, uh, you can talk to Olivia, there's um, leaflets at the back. Now, 
A few things came up in that that I want to unpick. But I only had 30 minutes, and I think I'm how many minutes I'm in. It's always to keep me on track. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come into land at some point. I hate that phrase. Why did I say it? Oh, I've been at too many Christian things. Need to learn. All right. I'm going to finish well, and I'm going to make sure that we all have time. As we've said, we're going to do Seek First in two Wednesdays' time. It's going to be me and Anna and whoever else wants to be here. If you're moved by what's been said today, or you were moved before this, and you really want, what can I do? Where is the next step? Um, that's one next step as a church. How is we as a community are going to do something for our community, for our area? Um, I'm going to talk a few about a few um, things I'm involved with um, in a minute as well. But I just want to unpack um, a few things that came up. The biggest driver for violence, knife crime, um, issues with getting involved in gangs or going into the justice system, so being arrested, are poverty and inequality. There is no other thing that goes bigger than that when you look at all the statistics. We can talk about uh, if you've got a parent who's been incarcerated, how highly it is likely for you to be in prison. If you get excluded from school, how likely is you to go to, um, to get involved in stuff. But the reality is those things are symptoms of inequality. When we have an unjust system, when we have a system where money talks and people with no money have no power, and that injustice is there, things like this happen. And it is across our country those symptoms are breaking out. We have the highest levels of mental health issues in young people that has ever been. Records cannot keep up, services cannot keep up. Things like suicides and self-harm are through the roof. Men are more likely to die from suicide than anything else at the moment. Not cancer, not you know, being run over by a bus, not a plane falling out of the sky, suicide. Loneliness through feeling that you can't cope, from feeling there's nothing for you in society, that is where we are as a whole society. This problem of knife crime and violence is not London's problem. It is not South East London's problem. It is not a black problem. It is not a BME problem, black and ethnic minority problem. It is a problem across the board. We've had murders in the Midlands, in Cambridge. I was looking at stuff in Northern Ireland. You know, when you look at, just put knife crime in BBC's um, search and all the ones that come up, I didn't, the London ones hadn't come up actually by the time I'd scrolled second page. There are so many at the moment and it is a symptom of inequality, it's a symptom of people feeling broken, people being left out, people feeling like Olivia said, not part of what's going on in society. It's like being in a room, you know, you go to a party and everyone's having a good time and you're the guy sitting in the corner not wanting to talk to anyone. Doesn't matter how many people are in that room, does it? Doesn't matter how loud the music is, you're not part of it, even if you're there. And that is the problem we have. Deprivation is causing islands of people who are not part of our society to live next door to people of great wealth and great means and great influence. And that's always been the case in London, but it has spiked. We're at the biggest kind of disparity there ever has been. And just to highlight the point, these are not evil people committing crimes. These are normal people with extraordinary situations, making terrible decisions in horrific moments. I'm going to tell you a story about me. And my gran's in the audience, so gran, I really apologize for this. But when I was about 17, my friend, who is one of my closest friends, called me up and said, my sister is in trouble. Someone is bothering her. They're bullying her. Um, it's out of area, so we can't do anything about it. Can you come? I'm bringing a hammer, and we're going to go and deal with this guy. And as I said before, I was a very quiet guy. I was very anxious. But I felt there was nothing else I could do. I didn't feel we could call the police. As I told you, 
they wouldn't get involved. The crime hasn't actually committed yet. So I was ready to go. I didn't carry anything. I didn't make that decision, but I knew I'd have to fight. And I thought, you know, it's just like in my head, I just thought, this is going to be bad. This is going to be terrible. Uh, at that time, I was a member of this church. I wouldn't talk to anyone about this. This is not something I could voice or put out there. But I was on my way to get, to get going. I was ready. And he phoned me and said, it's been dealt with. Don't worry. I was like, thank you, Lord. Because I would have put myself in that situation. I would have made that decision. I'd already done it. He was my best friend. His sister is like my sister. Nobody can trouble her. Nobody can do something to her. Me, Chris, who everyone thinks is a great person, is a good guy, he's the nice guy, he's always helping people out, uh, made that decision. And it's only through luck or God's intervention or whatever you want to say that I didn't end up either in a situation where I was injured or someone else was injured or I was in prison. And that is me. So people, someone you know, uh, those of you who know me and love me, that's me. I did that. I made that choice. Now, there are young people making that decision who feel like there is no one to talk to. Their friend is the only person who really gets them, who only feels what they feel. And they have to back that person up. They have to do what they do. And that's why I say it's not evil people making these decisions. It's bad decisions made in bad moments with terrible consequences. Now, what are the solutions to this? Where, where am I going? Am I just going to leave you in this kind of state of everyone is silent? I feel, like I feel this pin drop moment. Now, um, I work with a few organizations that are doing something about this. Um, there's a charity called XLP, which um, I, was, I spent the last nine years of my career working for. Um, and one of the solutions they have, or two solutions I'm going to give you, is one is mentoring a young person. We've always said, like, where are the available role models in our community? If we're all out all the time working or looking after kids or doing whatever, teenagers don't see us. We're not involved. We're not there in their lives. So how do we get those role models to them? How do we give them support to train them and do it? So we, XLP does a mentoring scheme called XLM. Um, it's run in the borough. They have one running. They have the scheme is amazing it's 30 young people 30 volunteers the young people are all young people at risk of um, these sorts of things we've talked about kind of the impacts that happen in a community they may be excluded or at risk of exclusion or have a, a troubled family life or all sorts of things like that and what XLP does is they they put those young people and mentors together for a year and it is uh, a way of working on goals and having someone there for them where maybe a parent can't be or maybe there isn't that extra support in the family. So XLP do that. Another thing they do, and one thing I wanted to highlight is my friend is currently running a, an access to employment course. A bit like um, we've got CAP here for adults, but for young people. But this is slightly different because the young people we're working with haven't got the skills to go into a normal workplace because what happens is, you know, the first time you're told off for being late, they mouth off and tell them to get lost and uh, probably I'm doing it nicely. Uh, or, you know, they just don't have the skills to work in that structure. So we mentor them. Well, I say we, I'm not there anymore, but my, my friends, they mentor them. They get them into work experience with employers who understand that this is going to be a journey for those young people. And then they put them through um, into other jobs that we create through networking with employers. If you work in a, a, a place where you'd want to do that, you know, XLP is there. That's the website. Everyone's got a smartphone. You can contact them. You can find out a bit more about that. Okay. The next thing, when we worry about uh, violence in our community, we often think, again, there's nothing I can do. Now, there's a guy called Les Isaac. He was a priest in Brixton. He thought, there's nothing I can do. And then he thought, God said to him, there is something you can do. And he set up an organization called Street Pastors. Now, what Street Pastors do, and I train them in how to work with young people, um, they just go out. They just 
get together, a group of them, they go out, they walk around, they throw away things that are dangerous, get rid of knives and broken glasses and whatever they find, and bricks and things. They go to clubs when it's kicking out time, they talk to people, they kind of intercede when situations might be getting heated. They just get out there and they do stuff. Isn't it amazing? And that came from God giving Les a word um, years and years ago. When Street Pastors started in Brixton, so Brixton used to be a place, a bit like this, in the Bible there's a place called the Valley of Acor. It's a place where you don't go. And people were stoned to death. It's cursed. Brixton was a bit like the Valley of Acor. Now it's coffee shops and loveliness. But it was... It was the Valley of Acorn. Nobody would go there. I used to work on Brixton High Street. I didn't stay around. Let's put it that way. Um, so when they started in Brixton, they lowered this, you know, old biddies from church, sorry, uh, lowered the crime rate in Brixton. Not by 5%. It was like 50 to 25% on the nights they were out. It was absolutely amazing. The police could not do anything but give them a commendment. And the police give them the statistics. Every night the street passes are out, the police give them the statistics of how the, the crime rates drop from one week to the next. Isn't that amazing? When Christians get together in God's name, we make stuff happen. And nobody can tell us any different because it's provable. So that's street pastors. Um, the next one is a new charity called Power to Fight. If I've given you a taste of the information you need, if I've given you kind of an idea, um, you know, it's hard in 30 minutes to try and capture all of this stuff. Power to Fight has just started uh, in January. It's a new charity that is looking to give um, training for the community so they can engage in these issues. We're going to run a video from them in a minute. Um, but the last um, charity there is Citizens. My thing now is I want to do stuff personally but I feel the structures around us are set up to keep this going, to keep it being perpetrated, to keep people in poverty, to keep injustice going. And we need to engage in government, we need to engage local government, we need to engage at political levels. There's an amazing charity called London Citizens. Uh, it's called Citizens UK, but the London part of the charity um, is called London Citizens and they run one locally here. And they're all about getting normal people engaged in the political process and putting pressure on those who have power to do the right thing. An instance of them doing this is, has anyone heard of the London living wage? So, this is an amazing thing. How much money do you need to earn an hour to just live in London? London is an expensive place. They looked at the Houses of Parliament and they found that most of the cleaners and most of the people living there were not earning enough to even live in London. Not in Westminster, but just the outskirts or the M25 or anywhere. And they put pressure on every single MP constantly. They ran a campaign where the cleaners had a strike and they were out in front of the Houses of Parliaments and they put pressure on these people by highlighting the issues that are going on. And lo and behold, MPs kept coming back, I'm going to raise the salary, I'm going to raise the salary, and it was going through the news. And that is what London citizens do. So if you are a person who wants to get involved in that sort of level of things, who wants to be involved in kind of breaking some of these structures, London citizens is the place for you. Now, we're just going to run this video from Power to Fight um, uh, so you just kind of hear kind of a bit of what they're doing. I want us, and when I say us, I'm not talking about black people. I want us, people of Britain, black, white, pink, blue, gray, whatever you are, whoever you are, to really understand that this tragedy that is being visited upon us is not something for the black community, but this is something for the whole of Britain. I want all our politicians to understand that. I want people who live in the more um, leafier suburbs to understand it, that the story of the mothers and the families who weep at the loss of their children that their story must become our story. Because if it does not become our story, then we are heading for a kind of Britain that really it's going to be all our downfall. We're going to talk to two months. And we arrived and 
at the scene, we could see like something obviously bad had happened because the, the police tape was there and there was loads of people just sort of hanging about. There was an ambulance in one corner and it was like, it was just chaos. So we got to destination and as I, I'm going up to where the, 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 the cordon off, um, my daughter comes running out and she, I could see that she was hysteric, hysterical. And she grabs me and we hug each other and I said, where's Nathaniel? And the police officer's come in at the same time and she kind of beckons to the police officer to say, no, it's okay, I'll do it, kind of thing. And then she takes me to the corner and she says, and she tells me that Nathaniel's been stabbed and he hasn't made it. He literally died on the spot. Disbelief, like how, why, who, all those questions come flooding. I need to see my son. Um, and I remember, like, because I, I said to her, Where is he? Where is he? She, she said, He's in that house there. And I was like, Okay. And I remember just running towards the house. And as I got to the door, obviously, there's police officers there, and they're like, You can't go in. And I'm like, you can't tell me that. My son's in there. I need to see him. I need to see my son. You're telling me that he's dead, but I can't believe it. Well, the, the main issue is the increase in serious youth violence that's playing out across the UK, but particularly in London is where our focus is at the moment. Uh, over the last two years, I'd say that um, violence itself in London has increased by about 50%, so it's around about um, 40 offences every day involving violence uh, with a knife. In relation to uh, people who are getting stabbed, um, that's increased by about 25% over the last two years, so that means, again, every 24-hour period, there's about six people who are getting stabbed which is just way too many and then slowly like my my older son came over because he was originally got the first telephone call from Nathaniel's friends who were there at the scene to say that Nathaniel was there with them they were all hanging chilling having a good time and two other guys turned up who they didn't know and one of them confronted Nathaniel asking him who is he what's where's he from this term, what ends you from? And the fact that you're being very suspicious, like, I'm not going to tell him, don't know you, you know, kind of thing. So I think what happened as they pieced it together was that because the fact that you didn't respond to the questions that this guy had thrown at him, um, there was an altercation between the family. I think they were squaring up with each other. And then, um, yeah, when the family wasn't expected it, the guy pulled a knife out and stabbed him. And so something that was supposed to be a nice time, a nice party, a chill back with them, his friends having a good time, turned out to be a tragedy. Many community organisations, statutory organisations, youth groups, arts organisations, church and faith groups are being impacted by this issue and becoming motivated to help. But in the changing landscape, they often lack the awareness and skills needed to make a real sustained difference. At Power to Fight, we think everyone has a vital role to play. We want to inspire and equip hundreds of organisations and community groups to be part of the answer to youth violence in their context. This is a fight against injustice. This is a fight against the exploitation of our young people. How we equip ourselves and how we power that fight will make all the difference. Help us to empower communities to end youth violence. reading Revelation 21 but remember on the 17th if this has affected you uh, please come and let's let's talk then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with man and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will, will be no more death 
or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Something we used to do in the organization I worked for was we used to look at that passage and rewrite it and rewrite it for the things that are paining us. Imagine if the end of that passage said, there will be no more knife crime, no more children having to look after children, nobody, nobody feeling as if they don't belong, that they haven't got a home in the community they're from. There'll be no injustice. No need to exclude kids from school. No need for mums to cry. That's the true story of heaven coming to earth. Sorry. That is truly what this Bible talks about. What our Jesus says. I believe that if we do not engage in bringing heaven to earth, there is no point singing. I'm really sorry to say that. Some of you might be offended. But I, that's what I believe. It's truly what I believe. If we don't engage in the issues that affect people every day, members of our congregation, members not of our congregation, there is no point. We're called to a worship that breaks the yoke and, and shatters injustice. And as a church, we can be a social club or we can be followers of Jesus. I know what I want to be in. And I, I just called, we're going we're gonna to pray for each other now. And I, I know I've run over, I'm really sorry. But I want to say if you have been moved by this and you want to be prayed for, what, what on earth you can do? Like, come and let's pray. If you, like me, felt hopeless for so long, like you work as a teacher or social worker or a family worker or you work in any sort of service where you're engaging with people who are suffering, like, and you feel hopeless, come, let us cry together, let us lament, let us pray. Let's work out where God is in that. If you're a young person, I want every single one of you to be prayed for today. We love you and we want to honor you and we want to thank you for sharing with us. So we're going to pray. 